You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, Asbury. I want to start off this morning by giving some shout outs. Uh, The first one to the equine students and the police mount club. To my wonderful boyfriend, Rusty McElrath in the senior section and all the guys, and to my amazing parents for coming out and supporting me today, and to my sister Elizabeth for the great introduction. I'll confess that the last time I gave a speech, I recited one sentence and started crying in front of 75 people, walked off the stage to my seat. So let's pray that doesn't happen today. Becca asked me last week if Liz or I would share some things that God has been teaching us, and Liz said, Sarah, you've got this, so that's why I'm here. No, but really, the first thing I thought about was how God has been so present, intentional, and trustworthy through some of the most uncomfortable moments. How I have been able to rely on Him as He has reminded me that what I'm going through doesn't revolve around me, but I can grow through faithful actions for Him. For some background, I'm a typical country girl who grew up in the middle of nowhere and interacted more with horses than people, I'm afraid, so hopefully that doesn't show too much. But a couple weeks ago, I had the privilege of helping conduct a couple of demonstrations with the greatest club ever, the Police Mount Club, up in Ohio. We explained to the public how we train horses for mounted officers all over, focusing on mainly how we approach things that scare our horses. We picked things that made them uneasy and placed them right in the middle of it. Whether obstacles or police cruiser sirens, we displayed these horses in seemingly scary situations. You may think this is strange, the concept of intentionally putting our horses in uncomfortable situations, but it's in order for us to see how they will react to the quickly changing environment. I'll come back to this. But I want to go back a few more years to the first time I did one of the most uncomfortable things in my life. So I rodeoed throughout high school. I'm a barrel racer, and a cowgirl is the best way I can give you a visual representation of this. It was one of the most hectic times of my life. I was gone at least two weekends a month up in Michigan, which consisted of 12-hour days. My parents told me that if I was going to pursue rodeo, I had to do every event that was held throughout that year. I was used to just barrel racing, not having to do another five different events during the day. That's like a basketball player preparing for their season, and when they get to their first game, they're expected to play chess. They're two completely different skill sets. Like, who does that? My parents pushed me to try new things. My eyes were open to the complacency that I let set a little too long in my spirit. I was okay with going with the flow of what was comfortable, and I didn't want to make a fool of myself for failing in front of others. That last sentence just highlighted my pride tendency, if you hadn't have noticed. I was afraid of ruining my reputation by failing in front of others. Well, my junior year came, and while I was pursuing my rodeo dreams, I was approached by a woman who headed up a queen contest in Michigan. She thought I would do great things as the queen and said that I should look into each aspect and think about competing in it. After talking about it with my parents, I hastily said yes because I felt prompted by God to take on that role. I have now come to terms with the fact that not much praying was done, and I can identify selfishness was the root of my answer for that. But I prepared for each aspect of the lengthy competition. I searched for my competition outfits, 
and ran through different things that I would say to the judges. I felt like I was ready to wow the judges with my astute knowledge of both horses and speaking skills. Each category score came in and tallied up and put me in second place until the final speech portion. If you recall me talking about the last time I had a speech in front of people, that this is the moment where I tell you I froze, off, froze up and walked off the stage crying in front of 75 people. Choking back tears, more embarrassment I'm afraid, I sat back quietly down in my seat as I watched the other girls flawlessly recite their speeches. I remember one judge looking at me with an empathetic look on her face and giving me a slight smile that said way more than I wanted to know. Defeated, I felt that my joy was stolen. It wasn't even about the aspect of winning, but really about not living up to other people's expectations of me. I thought I would never be able to live down the embarrassment that I went through that day. I told God that day that I wanted to be grown, but only on my terms and conditions. I audibly told him I would never do anything like that again. Considering I had thought that it was the right thing to do, it must have been the worst mistake of my life. My older, so older sister wrote on a note card a verse that I have taped back in my room back home, which reminds me of the uncomfortable situations and fear. That is 2 Timothy 1.7, saying, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Paul was talking about not being ashamed of his testimony and faith in God, but I think this is also an important concept when acting on things that God has placed in our lives in order to not only grow us as people, but our faith in Him. A couple of verses after this, in 9, Paul goes on to say, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was His plan from the beginning of time to show us His grace through Christ Jesus. Something I have come to understand is that you can have both comfortable and uncomfortable situations that go hand in hand. Later on, I was getting ready for the dreaded preparation of life after high school. I was looking into two different options, college or joining a small discipleship program. It seemed that the easy decision would be to go to college, but I had actually prayed this time for God's guidance, and I knew I wasn't going to college with the rest of my friends. I felt conflicted, even though I felt God's prompting to leave what I knew in pursuit of finding God's truth. So through God's leading, onto the program I went. And here's one of the biggest things that God taught me there. Life is lonely when choosing the narrower path. This isn't to say that everyone should go off and leave their lives behind for missions or in other countries, but God led me through deep loneliness and isolation that I had never known I would find if I hadn't have surrendered my previous comfortable lifestyle. The moments where I was feeling the most depressed and out of place ended up creating my most rich, quiet moments with God. I spent more time reading God's Word and more time talking to Him through prayer, and found answers through people I would have never expected. When I am within difficult moments and dwell on God's presence always being there, it seems to be a catalyst for crazy and unexpected ways to see God's work displayed in my life. In Isaiah 41.10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I can trust God to help me when I need His strength in my life, which is always. I've never found myself comfortable with conflicts or readily able to speak in front of audiences. I'm not the author of my own story, and I know a lot of other people who have felt the same way. They thought that God would call someone else to the job if they didn't step out in faith. Although God may find someone else, 
You're not stepping out into faith where God may be calling you specifically. I'd rather be Peter crying out to Jesus as I struggle out of a boat, only to find myself sinking when I stop looking at him, crying out to him in faith to hold me up. I don't need to be overwhelmed by difficult circumstances around me. Although I can recognize it's hard, I want my life to be a vessel of grace, truth, and surrendered obedience to him. So each time I find myself here, it is a time for me to recognize that it's not all about me. I'm not here for me. Trust me, I'd be over there in row F, seat A, if that were the case. But the uncomfortable situations have left me nothing but to cry out to God and remember who wins in the end. I wouldn't want to live within the scope of what is always comfortable. Last week, a friend told me how she was excited in anticipation for how God was about to grow her through the unknown, scary future. And it surprised me a bit, but I realized how wise and valuable her attitude was for the future full of unexpected events. She reminded me of Philippians 2, 12-13, saying, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence— Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. I want to relinquish my need for achievements and open myself up to vulnerability with others. I want to say yes when God's leading me to things that scare the living daylights out of me. Because really, my life is not about me and my perfect bubble back home playing with the horses. I've been called to much more than complacency in my faith in God. I haven't yet witnessed a pattern of him growing me to a certain place and saying, that's good enough, you're on your own from here. After that queen contest, I was humbled. Selfishly, I wanted the recognition that came with the title. Stepping out into this discipleship program and going overseas where there were no horses, I was yet again humbled. How am I going to grow through the difficult circumstances that are yet to come? I hope my attitude is a good one, that my compassion for others continues to expand and that I won't say no to the opportunities that will stretch my faith. I want to find some trust like Peter and courage like Paul to walk faithfully through situations where I know I can't walk without him. I mentioned before the horses that our club places in intense situations. We allow them to feel emotions but not react to what the outside factors of their senses are telling them. We teach them to learn to focus on what the rider or trainer is asking them to do and continue to be faithful to the work we ask of them. So when sirens on a police car go off, the trainer is there to remind them of the work that they have so diligently been chosen to do. This is why I love horses. I can see how God's relationship with us can be paralleled to our relationship with our horses. This year, I have grown the conflict that arose learning to love people even deeper, and learning how to give up more of my control. God has done exactly what I prayed back in high school. God is faithfully there no matter what twist or turn arises. And I challenge not only myself, but all of you to continue to pray that God will always go before you wherever he is leading whenever it's hard. With God directing our paths, looking to his guidance as the chapters keep unfolding in our lives with humility and grace. I hope you are challenged to look to God's guidance for unexpected opportunities and watch how he grows you through that vulnerability. So I don't want to spend too much time talking about myself. The short and sweet of it is that I grew up as a homeschooled MK, and then we moved to Florida for the past 12 years. I've known of God and called him Lord as long as I remember. 
but I am now in the process of moving from a head relationship with him to a heart relationship with him as father. I don't want to talk about myself today. Rather, I feel led to talk about something God, our Heavenly Father, has been teaching me and has placed upon my heart to share. I want to talk about a relationship with Him, primarily as seen through our freedom in Christ and through holiness. First, what even is freedom? We throw the word around, but we only ever seem to think about one of its aspects, freedom from. But holistic freedom is not just freedom from, but freedom for and freedom to. So, as an example, we as students frequently speak of freedom from schoolwork on the weekends and breaks. But holistically, that freedom is also the freedom for enjoyment and the freedom to spend time with friends. This is the nature of freedom. It is from something, for something, to pursue something. This also means that freedom is not a lack of commitment to anything. In the example I gave, if you want to live into your freedom from work, for enjoyment, to hang out, then you have to commit your time to not work, to have fun, and to hang out with friends. The same is true with our freedom in Christ. And what is that freedom? Our freedom in Christ is freedom from sin, freedom for relationship with God, and freedom to live holy alive. And this is what it means to live a holy life. In fact, this is what we are called to. For as God has said, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, before you say anything, I want to clarify, this call to holiness is not a call to merely follow rules. Holiness is not an obsession with do's and don'ts. Holiness is not a spirit of judgmentalism, whether to others or oneself or anything in between. In short, holiness is not legalism. Rather, we have to remember that our walk with God is a call to relationship, to knowing Him as our Father. God loves you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. Holiness is what that relationship looks like and what our hearts yearn for our lives to look like. A life free from what is evil, free for what is good, and free to be truly alive. Holiness is what we find as we live in Christian freedom. What does this even mean? Questions jump to our mind. Are we not all sinners? Won't we always struggle with sin? Surely holiness must be impossible for humans to attain, in this era at least. And this is the problem that many of us become trapped in. We have fallen for what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Recall that repeated phrase, we are sinners. Notice anything? It's in the present tense. We have cheapened God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice to be that of smacking a sticker on us that says holy in God's eyes, with our sinful nature left untouched and to be dealt with when we get to heaven. But that is not why Jesus died. His blood was not shed for us that we might stay shackled to sin and simply show the world an Instagram bio saying redeemed. 
What scripture tells us is that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Though you were once sinners, you have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Indeed, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And though we cannot conquer sin through our own flesh, with God, all things are possible. And it is through him that we are victorious over sin and death. So yes, we were sinners. And it's important that we know that and remember it. But guess what? We aren't sinners anymore. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. The old has passed, the new has come. Asbury, faithful, courageous, redeemed, ignited. I just said redeemed, that's not there, but surrendered. <laughs> that's your name. <laughs> Faculty and staff. Everyone, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, and you have confessed with your mouth that he is Lord, if you have decided to follow God and Jesus and live for him, then you are a child of God. For to all who have received Christ, to all those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And to those of you who have yet to accept Jesus into your heart, the Father's arms are open. Christ says to you, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the good news of Christ. I want you all to know that Christ has come, that we might live wholly alive, that the promises of the gospel are not just for tomorrow, but also for today. Today, Christ comes into our lives and makes us new creations. Today, we have new life in him. Asbury, I encourage you, and even more, I urge you to pursue that life, to live fully into the gospel. So go. Feast on your Bibles, for all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the child of God may be fully competent and equipped for every good work. Pray dangerously, for this is the confidence that we have toward God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. 
And most of all, abide with the Holy Spirit, for He dwells in us and will teach us all things and bring to our remembrance all that Christ has said to us. And when you do face trials, temptations, and tribulations, don't try to fight it alone. I've been there, and it doesn't work. Rather, recognize your limits and turn to God, praying, I can't do this. I can only do so much. But what little I can do, I will do. As for the rest, I need you to do it for me. Surrender the matter to God and trust in Him to carry you through it and to be your rampart. And if you need someone to talk to, I'd be happy to talk, and I'm sure so many others would as well. Matt, our of trustees over there, Pastor Hasselhoff, and our SLAs, just to name a few. Whatever you do, follow God, pursue Him, live for Him, and get to know Him. God is good. God is faithful. And what He has begun, He will see to the end. He isn't going to leave His kid wallowing in the pit of destruction. He's picking you up in His loving embrace, wiping the muck off you, and taking you home.